Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, fall is finally here. You know, no more of those 98-degree days like yeah. we had last week. I it, mean, I, I think we're done with that. It's replaced with wind from yes. the hurricane. Well, we got a little, <laughs> little wind, a little Florida. rain coming in here, Getting you know. This but, week, uh, yeah. Yeah. but we need the rain. It's been dry. We did. We did need the rain. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing this on Wednesday, so we don't know how it's going to pan out. But, no. I, yeah, I expect there's going to be a lot of wind and rain. But, uh, hey, you know what I mean? We, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah, there is. I've got a, um, a history fact. for right. the, You know, we, we know people out there listening love our sports talks, but some people don't. <laughs> so we're still going to talk <laughs> sports in a minute. Particularly when your team's losing. Go That's ahead. That's right. Go no, ahead. We're not yeah, losing, let's, let's hear some history. We're I love history. So. But, yeah, this, this goes back to September 26, okay. 1960. Wow. Okay, so 62 years ago, it was the first ever televised presidential debate, um, and it was between uh, John John Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And it's interesting because a lot of people were inclined to say Kennedy won the debate if they were watching it on TV. However, if you were listening to it on the radio, they said Nixon won. And the reason is, is Nixon declined to use makeup and appeared somewhat haggard <laughs> looking, yeah, yeah. looking compared to, you know, I mean, John F. Kennedy was like a, you know, a superstar, right? And people were you know, right. drawn to his personality right. and appearance as well. But you know, it, it, there was a difference of opinion if you listened to it on the radio or watched it on TV based on appearance. So, isn't that interesting how things have changed so much? But you know what hadn't changed? Because I heard I heard an excerpt from that same debate just this past week. Did you? And you know what they were talking about? They were talking about China and Russia. Interesting. Yeah. And on Bloomberg, they were saying, <clears throat> you know what? We're still talking about the same thing: yes. China and Russia. Yeah, yeah. That, and on that same debate, they I'm, were talking about Nixon, Nixon, Kennedy. As far as TV and radio, I think we have great faces for radio. How we do, I'm just saying, yeah. Hey, this it's just perfect. Good, it just kind of fits in yeah, really good. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, this face fits in anywhere. John, come on. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, so. Those are that's an interesting fact. And though. we also have football this weekend, right? We Actually, do, South do. Carolina is playing tomorrow night, Thursday. So we are recording yeah, this on Wednesday. Right. So um, that'll be it up. I'm sure South Carolina will do fine. You we're, know, we're playing South Carolina State, so we're favored to win. So yeah. thank you. And we'll be a. <laughs> there you go. And you guys have a big game. Oh yeah, playing NC State. They're number ten in the country now. It's game day, you know, for yeah. Clemson. So it's a it's our biggest game of the season, really. Um, so guys, uh, NC State's good, and uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, we barely pulled out last week uh, against Wake's, Wake Forest. Yeah. So. Good time of the year. Yeah, good time of the year. Love football. And, and Georgia's got, I don't even know who Georgia's They play playing. Missouri. It doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. They'll, <laughs> they'll, wipe, they'll wipe them up. Alabama's going to wipe up Arkansas probably. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, good, be a good, good weekend. Good weekend. No doubt. Um, yeah. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years' experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I am a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 30 years. And I guess I should have previewed our show. I mean, we, we're, we're going to talk about midterms yeah, and the stock got market. We got, we're talking about elections. Yeah. Uh, we got an election always, coming up. I yeah. haven't heard much about that. Right. It's, it's yeah. all been about inflation. but That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we're going to talk about that. There's some great articles there, and then we're going to follow that up with yours. Yeah, we've got some stats from uh, history a little bit. Wall Street's predictions, Steve, are, are usually way wrong. Go figure. Go figure. You, you know, know, we keep yeah. we keep hounding that. No one can predict the future and, and trying to time the market. We're getting a lot of questions on that. We'll cover that in detail. But this goes back to 2012, and it looks at 17 
firms who made a prediction of what the 10-year returns were going to be. Right. And they, they missed them. Like big time. Yeah. And it's a good time to talk about that because a lot of people now are predicting some big pullback, you know, from where we are today. We're already pulled way back, right? We're in a bear market. (laughs) My goodness. But some people are talking about, you know, you know, a a disaster in the stock market and economy. And yeah, it just goes that that speaks to that very issue. It does. People trying to pull out their crystal ball and make predictions. So, yeah, that's a great topic. Um yeah, and um, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday, um, so do check us out on yeah. our show. Yeah, go to our website as well, moneymd.net. We have a, a link to the podcast. You can go back and listen uh, to some of the history. I mean, I, I do go back and listen during the you know the shows we did during the pandemic. I mean, that was a very unusual time, and uh, you can just draw lessons upon that. We also have some tools out there, Facebook page. I'm going to be doing the prescription of the week this week, so go check that out at MoneyMD. Yeah, and send us your questions. You can link to us there. We'd love to hear your questions, and we will talk about those right here on the show. And uh, speaking of which, that brings us right up to the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Program for Public uh, Consultation. Don't know who that group is, but (laughs) um, the normal retirement age was last changed, Steve, back in 1983. So the 62, you know, 66 to 67 full retirement age. Um, so 1983 was the last, you know, major change for that. And there's an interesting, um, survey they did 2,500 registered voters, um, back in April of this year supported raising the normal retirement age, uh, to protect the financial solvency. And gosh, I, I don't, I mean, that would be a fairly easy fix. I think you would probably grandfather people in maybe 40 and older, you'd have to pick a number, right? But if yeah. you're in your thirties, you, you would have, you know, 25 to 30 years to prepare for that. So, yeah, it's surprising. 20, 75% supported raising the retirement age in that survey. Um, that's a big number, three quarters percent, but that's, yeah, that's positive. But everybody wants it to, to be solvent, yes. right? You know, and, and to be fully funded. And, uh, you know, it's hard to believe it's been almost 40 years since they raised it last time. They raised it two years from 65 to 67 back mm-hmm. then. They gradually phased it in. Yeah. Over a very long period of time, people, I think, under over 30 back then were basically grandfathered. Yeah. But now, you know, it's going to be, you know, I mean, I think anybody under 40 would have time to prepare for that. I I, I think at some point, I mean, at some point over the next 10 years, they're going to have to tweak the formulas to to get it solvent. Um, And there's some simple tweaks you can make. I mean, you and I could probably go up there and fix it it without crushing people. and. You know, you wouldn't impact people that are in there or within, you know, even 15 to 20 years of taking it. So Exactly. So, all right. Well, interesting fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the midterm elections mm. and the stock market, John. Um, yeah, a very recent article from DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors. And, um, you know, John, I mean, Election Day is almost here. I mean, it's hard to believe it's less than five weeks away. So for those who, you know, needed a brief civics refresher you know every two years you know we have um we have the the kind of the midterm or the elections with the full u.s house of representatives and one-third of the senate that's up for re-election so and you know while the outcome of elections are always uncertain i mean one thing you can count on is there's plenty of opinions and prognostications out there yeah you know about um you know, what it's going to, what it's going to look like. Yeah. Right. And what it's going to do to the stock market and, you know, the economy and all that kind of stuff. So, but in financial circles, I mean, this will almost surely 
include, you know, the perceived impact on the stock market, along with some doomsday predictions about how it's going to affect your investments. Um, but should investors really focus on midterm elections when it comes to their investments? Should they be concerned about that? That's the question. Yeah, we would certainly caution people against making, you know, uh, long-term changes, um, you know, to their to their situation to try to profit or avoid losses from changes in the political winds. And I mean, for context, I mean, think about the markets as, and this is a great way to think about it, but the markets as a powerful information processing machine. Uh, you know, the combined impact of millions of investors around the world placing billions of dollars worth of trades each day, it really results in market prices that have incorporated, you know, the the aggregate expectations of all of those trades and all those people, um, you know, around the world. And, and this makes outguessing the markets very difficult, um, if not impossible, with any kind of consistency. So the markets have already incorporated you know, the known information about elections or, or, Steve, about recessions. I mean, this this is a very broad, you know, statement here, but the markets have taken into account, you know, um, things that people already know. Um, and certainly there can be surprises, um, can and do happen in elections, and we've seen that. And the surprises usually don't lead to a clear-cut outcome for investors. So, you know, the market today is already forecasting who's going to win the House and the Senate, right? There's some right. expectations in there. Sure. So there could be surprises, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to move the needle a lot, which we'll show as we go through this. Yeah, that's right. You know, markets really aren't driven by elections, you know, they're driven by economics. And, um, but, you know, if you look back at the 2016 presidential election, that, that serves as a really good example of this. I mean, there were a lot of opinions about that election back then um, and how it would impact the markets, you know, and many articles at the time posted that stocks yeah. would fall if Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the day following, you know, Trump's win, you know, the S&P 500 actually closed 1%, 1.1% higher, um, despite the futures indicating a huge drop the night before. Yeah, let me tell you a funny story on that. I got a, an email from a client who was watching um, the returns. It was like probably two o'clock in the morning that mm -hmm. he sent me the email. Dow futures were down like 900 or 1,000 points. And he was like, you know, I want to talk tomorrow. You know, probably want to go to all cash. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, it was up. Yeah, there I mean, you go. it just flipped, flipped like, within about seven, seven hours. So, yeah. That quick. Yeah. yeah, you just never know how it's going to play out. And usually those those moves are really short-term, you know, and, they, and then very quickly it reverts back to the long-term focus of earnings, earnings growth, and yep. the economy. And so even in an investor, you know, that would have predicted it correctly on election day, um, you know, there's no guarantee that that would have uh, predicted it a correct move, yeah. you know, going forward, you know, from there, you know, usually over time, the narrative switches. Yeah. And there's always things, I mean, if you look at the, the, you know, what Trump went through, I mean, the pandemic, there's always events that happen, the Russian invasion of Ukraine that no one can forecast and, and, uh, you know, usually overshadows, you know, the politics piece of it. So That's the question right. that we're getting right now is, well, how about congressional elections, the, the midterms, Market strategists and news outlets are likely to offer opinions on who's going to win and what's the impact on the markets. Um, but you know, data going uh, for the stock market going back to 1926 shows that in uh, shows that returns in the months when the midterm elections took place did not tend to be different um, from returns in any other month. So, in fact, when we look at the the graph that they provided here over the past 96 years. Uh, we see that there's not really a distinguishable pattern for election months compared to non-election months. So it, it shows to be you know totally random regardless of which party wins the election. And 
I mean, that, that's what we, we see as well. I mean, looking at the data shows that trend as well. But um, just looking back at recent history, it feels the same way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know why it's easy to get distracted by the month-to-month or even year-to-year returns. What really matters for investors um, is, you know, how their wealth grows over long periods of time. So, you know, there's another graph here they, they have which shows the hypothetical growth of a dollar in the S&P 500 again, since 1926. So my goodness, you know, 96 years. And again, the chart lays out, you know, it, it, but which party controlled Congress over that period of time. And, uh, and it shows that there's significant growth regardless of who was in Congress. You know, there's no pattern here. There's a tremendous growth over that 96 years of time. And, and it's pretty much a straight line growth with, you know, the blips for, you know, bear markets like 2008 um, that are in there. But over time, when you look back at the big picture, there's nothing that compares to that kind of growth of wealth Mm -hmm. over time, regardless of who's in office, John. So, you know, the the point here is you just can't try to time this um, and you can't focus on the elections um, because, I mean, this this graph really, I think, points it out that you know, it, it's pretty well even, you know, over time. It shows up markets when Republicans control everything. It shows up markets when Democrats control everything. So That's right. I, I know people get, you know, very, very emotional and spun up about politics. And, uh, you know, you should certainly be involved in politics and, and get your, you know, beliefs and values represented. But, you know, it's like today, the the, the companies um, that are facing inflation pressures, they're figuring out how to adjust. Right. And and it, they're in the middle of it, they, but they adjusted during the pandemic and they will adjust to this as well. So absolutely. Um, so, of course, in two years, we'll be asking the same question about the presidential election. Uh, investors are a lot more passionate typically about the presidential than the midterms. Uh, but, what, you know, an interesting uh, to note is that the difference of the outcomes over the first two years following a presidential election seems to all uh, but have disappeared by the time the full four year term has taken place. Um, the the returns are eight point six percent versus eight point eight percent for Republican presidencies versus Democratic presidencies, and the contrast is also very small when there's a sweep. Um, when the Republicans sweep, the four year difference in average returns was also very close uh, as well versus Democratic cycles. So it's because there's always other events happening. Right. I mean that we right. can't predict. So there are policies that do impact companies. Um, but they end up adjusting and going on and doing bigger and better things. That's absolutely right. You know, and we also see a difference between, you know, various gridlock scenarios. You know, when Republicans will win, win without a majority in the House or Senate, you know, they produce an average four-year return of 8.7 versus 10.9%, you know, and, and part of that difference is just the very small sample size. Yeah. I mean, there were only six instances of Democrats winning the White House yeah. without taking <clears throat> control of both. Houses of Congress, and, you know, there were only nine gridlock cycles on the Republican side, including, you know, the George Bush one back in 2000, right at the top of the tech bubble. So it's very easy for these numbers to be skewed just for a very small sample size. Um, But it's a good reminder that, you know, while it's sometimes suggested that a particular president or party is good or bad for the stock market, ultimately, it's the long-term fundamentals that matter. And so while policy initiatives like you know, taxes and spending can affect markets over time. So do the demographics and, you know, the effect of monetary policy 
over time. And at the end of the day, it's really earnings and earnings growth that affects the stock market and stock prices. And the factors that drive this are much bigger than the president or Congress. So from a long-term perspective, stock markets have a remarkable history of helping investors grow their assets, you know, over time, beat inflation. And, you know, it's a long-term endeavor. I mean, trying to make investment decisions based on the outcome of elections is very unlikely result in any benefit or added return for an investor. At best, any positive outcome is going to be based on uh, luck, really. So, I mean, it also can lead to costly mistakes, like missing out on the run-up we saw in 2000, late 2016, mm-hmm. you know, as people jumped out of the market fearing the election. So investors, they need to just rely on the long-term discipline strategy based on great diversification, proven portfolio structure, rather than trying to outguess the market. That's really the moral of the story here. Yeah, and I think your your key, the, one of the key statements in here is at the end of the day, the earnings and earnings growth affect stock prices. <clears throat> so like right. when we're in the down market now, I mean, let's just look at a company like I, IBM. Um, right. I don't know what their stock is down, but let's say it's down 25%. Does that mean that every single year going forward, their earnings are going to be down 25%? I mean, in three years, right. is their earnings going to be down 25%? Yeah, of course. I don't, Who knows? I don't, no one knows, but I don't personally believe the inflation is going to impact them out that far into the future. So, you know, is 25% real for them? I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it, it, um, it goes down very, very deep and then it recovers very quickly because people start to realize hey, the earnings in 2027 are probably not going to be impacted by what we're going through today. We saw that during the pandemic was a great example as well. Well, and it's one of the great things about capitalism is companies can adjust very quickly, just like we saw in the pandemic. You know, they adjusted, they started working from home, they started, you know, doing things remotely, even restaurants, you know, started doing delivery rather than in-house, you know. So companies were still able to make money and profits still recovered very, very quickly because companies can adjust. And that's what happens in the stock market. And that's what makes investing, you know, a great endeavor, just just being in the market and not trying to outguess it. Um, so, all right. Well, good good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this is kind of tied in. And we're getting this a lot now is, you know, the, the news media is, uh, is very negative. Um, you know, just a lot of uh, fear out there about, about a recession. Um, and it says... I hear a recession's pretty imminent in 2023. Should I go to all cash now? And and so our response is, is well, like we said earlier, all known information is priced in. So a recession is priced in. I think right? so. We're in a bear market as a result right. of a recession being priced in. I mean, the markets are down 25 to, to 35 to 40%, depends on where you're invested. So it's it's priced in. Could it go lower? It could. No one knows. And obviously past performance doesn't guarantee future results, but you know, trying to predict at this point whether it's going to go up or go down, we know that markets have always recovered, right? Right. The prices have recovered. We don't know when. So the best strategy is try to add shares. Um, we're big believers in trying to add shares through various, you know, means. And doing it during a bear market when you're, you can buy the 20% discount, that's a great strategy, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, this is a great discount. This is the Moonlight Madness sale. So it's a good time to put money in. I mean, long term, you know, I can't tell you what it's going to look like six months from now, but yep. I can tell you six years from now, you're going to look back and say, more than likely, right? I sh- more than likely, yeah. I should have put that money in. I had know? that. Con- I had a conversation with a client um, about a week ago, and they put money in in May, and that money is still not made money uh, right. in September. Right. I said, let's go back and look at the money you put in 
in March of 2020. There you and go. that money had made like 50% in two years. So, you know, it just, it does take patience. Um, but no, don't it go does. to cash. That's, that's going to ruin your, you know, you're going to be able to get back in either. That's the other hard yeah, part. Yeah, timing that. that second decision of when to get back in is very perilous. Markets tend to recover very quickly from the bottom, you know, a good portion of the of the down market. So if you're sitting in cash trying to wait and time that mm. that recovery, you're going to be late. And yep. Most likely, you're going to be late. So, yeah, good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is uh, Wall Street's predictions. I mean, more of the same here. I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's a theme. Right or wrong? I mean, where where does Wall Street say we're going, and and is there any any credibility to that? Yeah, John? this is from Market Watch, a gentleman named Mark Holbert, and um, you know, I, just the, the 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 big takeaway is the best approach. You'll see the data here is to stick with your 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 strategy, um, do some rebalancing, make sure you're diversified, add some money if you can, pull from bonds if you're pulling money out. Uh, but there's a, a famous quote by uh, Danish um, Danish uh, physicist Niels Bohr. And it said, um, predictions are difficult, especially about the future. So no one can predict the future. And so what we do see, though, is, is interesting is these Wall, Wall Street research firms, their track records for projecting longer term returns and short term returns, for that matter, they have no idea. They put it out um, on an annual basis. They get a lot of press attention uh, when they update their, their projections. Um, and there's one Boston-based investment firm that he references that does this every single year. And as a as a whole, there's 17 firms that we're going to discuss here. They're 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 wrong the majority of the right. time. They they're, are. They're not, they don't even no one even gets it within the band. And we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, I mean, when you start looking at these projections, they get a little crazy. When you start taking you start taking the immediate situation and extrapolating it way into the future. You, you can easily get some crazy, you know, uh, prediction, predictions yeah. out of that. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of it's kind of what we're seeing here. I mean, according to latest projections, for example, U.S. large stocks are projected to produce a 2.2% annualized loss in inflation-adjusted returns over the next several years. Again, because they're projecting inflation out, you know, today's inflation out mm-hmm. for several years. And emerging markets value stocks, in contrast, are projected to beat inflation by 8.5% annualized, <laughs> while U.S. bonds um, inflation-adjusted are projected to be a minus 2.4%, and so on. The, these are crazy projections. That's assuming nothing changes, and and that's not going to be the case. Yeah. yeah, and this firm that did this projection that you just mentioned is uh, is a famous firm up in Boston. It's an it's a investment firm, research firm. And uh, they've been famous, famously bearish, too bearish on U.S. equities over the past decade. And they've received a lot of criticism, ridicule, because the last decade has been fantastic. So they made decisions for them and their clients based on these forecasts. And, you know, according to a just-released study, um, you know, this company up in Boston is not alone in producing very poor projections that don't even come close. Um, there was a study that was done. Yeah, that's right. This is a study titled How Accurate Are Capital Market Assumptions and How Should We Use Them? And, you know, this study was conducted by a investment consultant, Mike uh, Sabastan. And, um, you know, it was he was previously chief investment officer at Aon and at Next Capital. Um, it was a fintech firm that was acquired by Goldman Sachs. So, you know, apparently a very smart guy. Yeah, and he basically um, compiled the 
projected asset class returns of 17 firms back in 2012. So, you know, 17 firms in 2012 put out, hey, this is what we think is going to happen over the next decade. And so then he graphed it and we have it in front of us. But, you know, you have um, a lot of different, we call them asset classes like U.S. large stocks. Um, cash is an asset class, real estate, uh, also international emerging markets. So there's there are about 12 different asset classes on here, actually 15 asset classes. And um, so 14 of the 15 asset classes that were analyzed, the, the actual 10-year return was outside of the minimum and the maximum range for the 17 firms. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, they, they, they put a, like, so just call, talk about large U.S. stocks. Um, they put a forecast out of maybe 3 to 7%. And it came in significantly higher than that. So the asset class has either produced a return that exceeded the most optimistic firm's projection or was worse than the most pessimistic firm. So the only asset class uh, within the 10-year that fell relatively close was uh, international stocks. Um, but this graph basically shows, Steve, it, it shows the the range of projections for each one of these, for these 17 firms um, from high to low, and then it shows where it actually came in. And for 14 out of 15 classes, they were wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, it's sometimes remar- grossly it's, wrong. It's remarkable that it wasn't even in the range. You know, I know. The actual results weren't even in the range of projections. Yeah. Um, so it just shows you how grossly wrong they are yeah it's and and this we see the same thing short term people cannot predict the stock market short term or long term yeah and i mean this guy's an analyst you know um so he's he's emphasizing well it doesn't mean they're worthless you know it means they're (laughs) they're just not as good as we thought we should they shouldn't be taken as gospel but in fact i would say it does mean they're pretty worthless you know (laughs) i mean you know these projections they weren't even in the range you take all 15 of them or 14 projections and you know, they don't even get in the range of the actual results. So it just goes to show you it's a, it's a you know, it's just a crapshoot um, as far as them throwing their, you know, projections out there. And you really just need to focus on the long term and, and don't pay a lot of attention to these projections. Yeah, be diversified. I mean, the lesson here is you, you can't find a, a better research firm than the prominent ones that he looked at. I mean, these are 17 of the top ones around the world. And those firms, analysts that do this, Steve, and make these projections, I mean, they're some of the best and brightest people you'll ever find in the investing arena. I mean, they have, you know, very impeccable educational degrees, a lot of, you know, experience, real world backgrounds, and, and yet they get it wrong and sometimes not by just a little. So, I mean, the takeaway, our belief is no one can predict the markets, Um, be diversified, have a process in place. You know, if you look back at history, about every fourth year, but 25% of the time, the markets are down. Uh, so it's kind of expected what we're going through now. Um, right, you know, right. the reasons are always different, but you got to have a process in place to handle those down years. The, the up years are easy, right? Everybody exactly. loves the up exactly. years. It's the down years that you better, better have a plan and a process to handle that. And I would say, you know, it's never, it's, it's almost never as bad as people project whenever markets are down like this. So you start getting these crazy predictions predictions out there about how bad this is going to get. You know, we're in this bear market and inflation is going to be out of control and the Fed's going to have to keep going and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the reality usually doesn't work out to be as bad, yeah. you know, in the good, and in the good times, it's never as good yeah. as people are predicting. So, you know, just, just stay focused on your long term. Don't let 
you know, these prognosticators out there um, influence your decisions on yeah. a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's easy to get um, emotional with it. I, we understand. And markets can recover a lot quicker than people expect. You know, I mean, just look back at July, how good that <laughs> month was. A couple months like that, and, you know, you're 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 almost back up. So, yeah, yeah just, just hang in there and focus on the long term. That's kind of the moral of the story. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so... Um, Make sure you get your estate in order. Wills, trust, um, about 60% of people don't have that in order. Um, If you don't and it's a complicated situation, there can be a lot of cost. Uh, Probate is a piece of it, but then having to get lawyers involved. I have a client now that is is closing his dad's estate and he's the executor of it, and it's a mess. He's he said he is the amount of time and the amount of money that he is spending on this because things were not in proper order is enormous. And he sends me these long emails. He's just very frustrated. So, um, you know, do your loved ones uh, a, a service and document and make sure you you have those discussions, you have beneficiaries and things in place because we don't know the day and the time. Um, you know, I lost my brother-in-law back in 2001 in a car mm. wreck. Mm. And I, you just don't know. And it yeah, happens. You know. And we all know people that have had, you know, passed away suddenly. So, uh, it can get, um, you know, it, the people that are left behind, it is, it can be a, a total mess. Um, we're actually dealing with another situation of someone that just, you know, joined us that still working on an estate five years later. Yeah, it can be a huge mess if things are all spread out and not consolidated in accounts and don't have beneficiaries. So yeah, make sure you have your house in order, make sure you have a will up to date and make sure you have your beneficiaries listed on every account yep. that's possible. So Good word. All right. And that leads us up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 